So even though we are presently suffering in this world, we have the assurance that we will be glorified with Him in the future and receive a priceless and irreplaceable inheritance. So if you're there, Jeremiah 17, let's all stand together. And we'll just read two verses out loud together. And it's verses 7 and verse 8. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. Let's begin. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. You may now be seated. Now on my way to church, on the route that I take to church, I always pass by these particular train tracks that cross through Langley. Now, I don't often get stopped by this train, but when I do, it's usually when I'm already running late for work. I think they have like a, my schedule in their train caboose there, and they know when I'm about to leave the house, and that's when they cross. And during one particular Sunday morning that I was running behind, I saw from afar that the train lights started flashing red. This signified that there was a crossing taking place. But as I got closer and closer to the train, I realized that the train was flashing red, but it wasn't crossing. It was stopped. Now, this was unusual to me. I've never seen this before. And my first thought was, great. Now I was already running late, uh, running late but now I will definitely be late for work. And I'm stuck here for who knows how long. You know, I couldn't reverse, I couldn't get out of it. I was stuck in my position with no way out. And I'm just at the mercies of this train. Thankfully, the cops, they, they arrived rather quickly, about 15 or 20 minutes after uh, I got there, and they helped clear the street, and they redirected the drivers to a different route. This new route they took us on basically followed alongside the train tracks, followed alongside the train. And as I kept driving, I got obviously closer and closer to the front of the train, so eventually, I would reach the front. And the further I drove, the more curious as I was as to what the cause of the, the train stoppage was. And eventually I got my answer. I have a photo here. This is the reason why the train had stopped. The train had crashed into a car. And the driver was still in the vehicle. They had to use the jaws of life, they call it, to get the driver out of there. After looking at more of the articles, I found out that the, the young man, he died on impact. The crew was left scarred, especially the train conductor. Even though it wasn't his fault, he was left scarred because a life died that day. Later that Sunday, when the news articles started coming out, a lot of commenters quickly assumed that someone stupidly tried crossing the tracks when the train was coming. But I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't make any sense. All of the, the, everything regarding the situation, it didn't seem like an accident to me. Who would be stupid enough to try and, and run, uh, run uh, a warning, you know, when the, the lights are flashing red, the bar is coming down? Who's going who's gonna to be stupid enough to try and cross that? So in my mind, I had a gut feeling that this wasn't an accident. And it was only a few days later, on, a, on the Monday, Monday afternoon, when I looked into the situation more. 
that my gut feeling turned out to be correct. This wasn't a stupid accident. And as you've probably surmised, this was a suicide. Family members of the deceased commented, and they shed light into the matter. The 24-year-old man was struggling with depression, and it hits hard because he's my age. He's as young as I am, and he took his own life. On the post, we see his friends and family saying, I should have talked to you more. I should have reached out to you more. I should have checked up on how you were doing more. He was struggled with depression, and he decided that this was the way that he wanted to take his life. This story is incredibly heartbreaking for those, the families affected, the friends affected, for the, the man himself. But this story isn't unique. There have been so many cases of suicide in history. And a lot of them are incredibly heartbreaking. Our initial reaction tends to be, on one hand, it tends to be that we think they were incredibly foolish for doing what they did, for leaving behind their families and friends and, and leaving such an emotional scar on all of their friends and families. And on one hand, we think they were foolish, but on the other, we feel compassion for them. We feel bad that they felt so hopeless that the only way they felt they could overcome their situation was to take their own lives. I'm sure some of us have been in the same boat where we had felt that suicide was the only answer to our problems, that the world would be a better place if I wasn't around. And it is only by the grace of God that any of us are still here. These thoughts can plague anybody. No matter how great you may feel yourself to be, these this sorrow, this grief can plague and attack anybody's mind. It is only by the grace of God that we're alive. Now, many commit suicide. And again, this is barring people who commit suicide because of religious sacrifices. But many commit suicide because they felt hopeless in their situation, right? They felt like as if there was nothing they could do to get out of their circumstance. They felt that they were beyond hope. Maybe it's a person who got himself a, a large debt that he can never pay back. Maybe it was someone who was cyber-bullied and his, her, their reputation has been tarnished beyond recovery. I remember a very sad story in grade, 12, in grade 8, 2012, and this sparked an entire campaign for cyber-bullying. A, a girl named Amanda Todd killed herself, took her own life because people started uh, exposing her, bringing up pictures that shouldn't have been exposed. And her, she was cyber-bullied so much that she took her own life. She felt hopeless in her situation. And a lot of people commit suicide for that reason. A man once said, hope is important because it can make the present moment less difficult to bear. If we believe that tomorrow will be better, we can bear our hardships today. So if someone has absolutely no hope to cling to, nothing to look forward to in the future, nothing that excites them and gives them uh, a joy and excitement in life, if they have no hope, it'll be easy to surmise and conclude that they'll have no motivation to keep on living. Now many believe that hope is dependent on our mentality. That as long as you have positive thinking, as long as you just think optimistically, 
As long as you do this, you'll get by in life. But hope shouldn't be based purely on blind optimism. Because positive thinking, positive mentality, they're a good, that's a good thing to have. But let me tell you, they will not hold you up when real trials come. You need to place your hope on something that can hold up during life's greatest trials. An anchor that will endure and withstand blows. Something that you can depend on. Something that you can confide in. And guess what? The only thing that can match those descriptions is God. Blind optimism is, gonna, is not going to help you when trials come. But positive thinking is not going to help you when trials come. Only God can do that. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God Himself. In Jeremiah 17, 7, the verse we just read, it says, Blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. A man who places his hope on God, they will flourish. Despite their circumstances, they will flourish, they will grow, they will advance, they will move forward because they are placing their hope on God. We, need, we know that God should be the one we draw hope from, but what specifically about God? And that's the focus of tonight's sermon. There are three things that I want to cover tonight. These three things have personally helped me in my times of difficulty. These three things have helped give me hope when I was struggling. I pray that these things will also encourage you in times when you feel that you are beyond hope. And let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this message that you've laid on my heart. And it's a very precious message to me, Lord. You've done so much in my life. You've pulled me out of some difficult situations, Lord. And we understand that the only hope that we can truly confide in is if we place our hope on you. And I pray that we learn that tonight. I pray that you speak to the hearts of all of those present tonight, that you would encourage them in the truths covered, and that you would help them to bring these to mind whenever they're in their next storm or trial. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Now turn with me to Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Let's turn to Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. And my first point here is we need to find hope in our salvation. Hope in our salvation. You're there at Ephesians 2, and just follow along as I read. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In times of difficulty, the first, things, the first thing we must remember and look to is the gift of salvation that you once received. Our salvation is something we often forget. It's something we often overlook. We ought to be thanking God regularly for the salvation that He's given us, for the gift that He's given us, but oftentimes, as Christians, we, we've accepted the gift of salvation, but afterwards we put that aside. We forget all about the gift that God gave us, and we put our salvation to the side. But folks, thinking on our salvation will fill us with all hope because we realize that one day we'll be in heaven with God. It's a promise. It's assured. It will happen. There are many reasons why our salvation ought to give us hope. The moment we receive Christ, we inherited eternal life. And because we inherited eternal life, we are saved from the wrath of God, spared from hell. And that alone ought to encourage us. We're spared from hell. We'll live for all eternity with God in heaven. 
We spend time with Jesus every single day. We spend time with all of the saints from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We'll have joy, perpetual joy forevermore. That's a beauty, beautiful hope there. But what I wanted to focus on specifically tonight about salvation is our adoption into the family of God. When we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, not only do we inherit eternal life, but we become part of a new family. We are now a part of God's family. We often see and recognize ourselves as servants of God, right? Now, that's not a wrong statement to make because, in truth, we are servants of God. But we are more than just servants of God. Now, who knows the song, The Family of God? Who knows the song, The Family of God? And if I may, join with me in singing the the chorus there. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. That song shows us that we are part of God's family. Not only that, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. This song reveals who we are in the sight of God. Regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, race, or or social class, God accepted us into His family. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. God lovingly accepts anybody who accepted Him as His personal Lord and Savior. And we need to be reminded that we don't just have a, a servant and master relationship, but we also have a child and father relationship. God sees us as His precious children. Now parents, they ought to love their children unconditionally. And my parents, they've done their best to do the same in my life. There was a time in my life where I felt like such a disappointment. I remember that particular day I I, I holed up in my room Everybody knew that I was upset. They, everybody tried barging into my room, but I was just hold, I remember holding the door and, and not letting anybody in. They can hear me weeping behind the door, but I didn't let anybody in. I, was dis- I felt so disappointed in myself. It was one of those situations where I just cried until I ran out of tears to, to, to cry. Eventually, I got tired of holding up the door. Eventually, I ran out of tears to shed. So I got up on my bed, put the blanket on me, you know. Time to wallow in despair. You need this from time to time. (laughs) And I remember there, cooped up in my blanket, so disappointed in myself, closing my eyes but not going to sleep. I remember the sound of the door opening. In my mind, I was already preparing things to say. Get out of my room. Leave me alone. I don't care. But I just shut up there for a second. I had no more voice to give. And I remember my dad coming in. And uh, I remember my dad coming in. I, um, 
I remember my dad coming in, and he, <clears throat> and he put his hand on my back while I was facing the wall. And he essentially told me that no matter what, that he'll always be proud of me. And that expression of love that night, it continues to encourage me today. No matter how disappointed I, my, I am in myself, I know that my dad will be proud of me. That's, like, that's how much unconditional love my dad has shown me. And if my earthly father can express that level of love, how much more can our heavenly father express his love to us? Last week, Pastor White preached a message. Last week, Pastor White preached a message on God's amazing love. That no matter how much we mess up, God still loves us the same. That He will never give up on an erring or disappointing, on a disappointing child. And that message, as I listened to Pastor White, it made me tear up. Because at the end of the day, I'm so unworthy. And I continue to mess up. I continue to, to struggle with things that I, I've, I've asked God for forgiveness for. But despite that all, God still loves me. God still forgives me and He sees and loves me the same way. You know why? Because I'm part of His family. I'm His beloved son. And you too, you are too. You're His beloved son. You're His beloved daughter. And He cares and loves for you no matter what situation you may be going through. Despite what hardships I find myself in, I know that my Father up above will always be with me. But that's not all, folks, because we are not just mere members of the family. But we are joint heirs with Jesus. Turn with me to Romans 8, chapter 14, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's take a moment to digest the truth of this verse. We are joint heirs with Jesus and heirs of God. Now what does this mean? It means that everything that was given to Jesus Christ, everything that Jesus will one day inherit, we will inherit too. Everything that was given to the precious Son will be given to us too. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Even though we have, all, we have done all of these abominable things in the sight of God, we've committed so many sins against God, He has graciously allowed us into His family and made us joint heirs with Christ. Why? We're undeserving of it. It's all because of His grace. So even though we are presently suffering in this world, we have the assurance that we will be glorified with Him in the future and receive a priceless, an irreplaceable inheritance. I often think about the glorified body that we will once receive, what it would look like, what it would be like, but I know it will just be amazing. It will be perfect. All of the aches and pains that we feel will be gone. All of the sorrow and, and negative emotions that we feel will be gone. We'll have a glorified body in heaven, folks. 
When we understand and value the glory that awaits us, we are better able to endure whatever comes our way in this life. We can give God praise even during trials because we have His guarantee that we will receive all that He has promised. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When you feel that you are beyond hope, Remember the precious gift of salvation that you once accepted and accepted into your heart. Remember that you're not just some servant that the master doesn't care for. Remember that you're a part of God's family. And remember not only that, you're joint heirs with Jesus and the heirs of God. And if you have never accepted Jesus into your heart tonight, and you can't relate with us in this matter, God is never out of range. You can always call upon Him anytime and accept Him into your heart. Now that's the first point. Our second point is this, hope in His promises. We've had, we find hope in His salvation, and now we find hope in His promises. Turn with me to Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter, Psalm 119. And go with me to verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. And then, again, just in the same chapter, 119, let's go to verse 114. So it should just be the next page over. Verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Verse, 16, uh, verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. We need to find hope in the promises that are written in the word of God. You know, we can't always rely on the promises made by men. Many people are quick to make a promise, but they're even quicker to break it. There are so many unfulfilled promises that have been made in this world, in history. We've made promises to pray for other people, but end up not praying even once for them. We've made promises to be present for a specific event. Maybe to, we made a promise to our, our kid, to our, maybe to our parents. We, made, we promised to be there, but we ended up not showing up. We've promised to love someone forever, only to leave them the first time they disappoint you. We've promised to quit a certain bad habit, and we promised this to God, only to continue doing it. We're very quick to break promises. Man's promises are not always kept. At my age, I'm very careful to make promises with people. I, I'm very careful using that word, I promise to do this and this for you. Because I don't want to make a promise that I know that I can't keep. I can't promise someone, I'll, I'll, I promise I'll be there for you for whatever you need. But I can disappoint them. I'm not always, I can't always be there for you. I want to be someone that can be true to his word. That's why I'm, I'm careful with ex the, the promises I make. Because I want to follow after God's example. And God's example is this. He never fails to fulfill His promise. He never fails to keep His promise, unlike we are. We often do. Numbers 23, 19. You don't have to turn there. It says, God is not a man that He should lie. Neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? And also, in, in, well, Joshua, while addressing Israel... In 23, chapter 23, verse 14, he said, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, 
And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. God always keeps His word and will not fail to fulfill that which He has already promised. He will not lie. He won't repent and change His mind. When once He has uttered it, and once we've read it in the Bible, that promise will be kept. As I said in the introduction, we need to find our hope in something that is constant and will never fail to disappoint us. And what is that constant? God's Word is that constant. We can place our hope in God's Word because it will never change. In times of great trials, we need to remember all of the amazing promises that are in the Bible for us to to read about. Here are some great promises that have encouraged me and gave me hope in times of difficulty. I'm going to just rapid fire these. Joshua 1.9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Wherever I, I, I find myself in, whatever trouble that I might lead myself towards, I know that God will be with me. He promised that in Joshua 1.9. Jeremiah 33.3, Call unto me and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He's never out of range. This verse just says, call unto me and I will answer thee. That's a promise. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whenever I feel tired and fatigued from all the difficulties of this world, who do I go up to? I can go to God. I can go to Jesus who will give me rest. That's a promise. Psalm 37, 23 to 24, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. No matter what tribulations I face, it's not going to bring me down forever, because the Lord is the one upholding me. I will not be utterly cast down. That's a promise. Isaiah 43, verse 2 to 3, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Who here has ever had a broken heart? Who's here have have ever had a contrite spirit? We can all raise our hands for both of these things. And guess what? God is promising that he'll be nigh unto them. What a wonderful promise. And i got to leave the best for last, at least in my opinion. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This has become my life verse. This is a completely different situation, but I remember there was, a, there was some difficulties that I was having. And I was, well, very uh, difficult, and I was just grieving. I was filled with sorrow. And I remember, I don't know if he remembers, but it was actually Pastor Devin, who kind of maybe could tell that I was off. It's kind of easy. I'm very much an open book. You can tell if I'm happy. You can tell if I'm sad. But Pastor Devin, I think he texted me Romans 8.28. Now I've heard of this verse. Not like it's a revelation to me. Not like he showed me something new. But just the timing of him texting Romans 8.28 in a time that I was having so much difficulty, it meant a lot to me. 
It was the one verse that God used to pull me up from the great sorrow that I was facing. And it was the verse that pushed me to continue going on at a time when I didn't feel like going, living on and continuing. Romans 8.28, alongside the six other verses I mentioned above, have been a source of hope for me personally in times of trial. Now here's the wonderful thing about the Bible. There's more than seven promises in the Bible. There's more than 20 promises in the Bible. There's more than 50 promises in the Bible. So if you don't like the verses that I personally like, you can go in the Bible and study it, and you can pick out precious verses of your own that you can use in your time of difficulty. What I'm trying to say is I encourage you to echo the message that the psalmist wrote and to find your hope in the Word of God. Start memorizing verses that contain great promises. You memorize them so that you can recall them whenever there's a trial that you're already experiencing. You don't have to pull out your phone. You don't have to take your Bible and open it. You can just recall it immediately to help you in times of need. God's word and promises will never fail you. And he can never disappoint. And I'll finish with this third point here. We found hope in his salvation, hope in his promises, and lastly, hope in his return. Let's turn all turn to Titus 2.13. Last passage I'll ask you to turn to. Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see the word hope all throughout the Bible. It's used more than a handful of times, but we only see the phrase blessed hope once in all of the the covers of the Bible. The word blessed being attached shows that this source of hope is more special than all the other sources of hope that I've mentioned tonight. And this blessed hope of the believer is the return of Jesus Christ. Just imagine what a joyful and amazing experience it would be to finally see Christ in all of His glory. We've only imagined what it would be like. We're kind of just expectantly and joyfully waiting for that moment. We can can see Jesus in all of His glory. But when He returns... It won't just be imaginations and dreams anymore. We'll actually get to see Him. And it could happen today, any second now. It is imminent. There have been times in our lives when we were reunited with maybe a friend that we we haven't seen in years. Maybe it's a relative that we haven't seen in years. And there was great joy and happiness in that reunion. For me, it was with my grandparents. After I left the Philippines in 2005 or 6, I haven't seen them. I didn't see them, my grandparents, for years. And when they finally came to Canada for a short time, and I forget what years now, it was a very joyful reunion. I loved my grandparents. I only have one grandparent now, but I loved all three of the ones that I was able to get to know. And it was a joyful reunion. Now imagine your reunion with Jesus, how joyful that would be. We'll finally see him just as he is in all the fullness of his glory. There's a song that I like, that I fancy, and it's called We Shall See Jesus. The song, it goes like this. Once on a hillside, people were gathered. For Jesus had risen and soon would ascend. Then as he blessed them, he rose to the heavens and gave them his promise to come back again. We shall see Jesus just as they saw him. There is no greater promise than this. 
When he returns in power and glory, we shall see Jesus. We shall see Jesus just as he is. When Jesus returns and when we are reunited with him, all our present difficulties and problems, gone. All the stresses in our lives that have plagued us for years, gone. All the sorrows and burdens that we have carried, gone. All of the physical pains we struggle with, gone. Who here has physical pains? All of us have physical pains. This last week, for some reason or other, my jaw started hurting. I got TMJ. I felt my jaw numb. Every time I opened my mouth, it would lock. Every time I would chew, I would hear clicking noises in my mouth. And I took that as a sign to never chew gum again. Apparently, excessively chewing gum, as I have been doing, causes TMJ. You learn something new every day. So, I have all these physical pains that I struggle with, that we struggle with, gone when Jesus Christ returns. All of these negative, hurtful, painful things will pass away when we are reunited with Jesus. And everything that we will experience will be joy, glory, and happiness when we are reunited with Him. And we ought to find hope in His return. Because He is coming back for us. And that much is certain. No one can take that away. As Christians, are we ever beyond hope? Well, sometimes it seems that way because our mind and our judgment are so clouded that we can't think straight. That's what grief and sorrow does. It clouds your mind and your judgment and you forget about all the good things, all the blessings that you have in your mind. But folks, as believers, we are never beyond hope. There are so many things that we can find hope in. And tonight we've seen that we can hope in our salvation. We're part of God's family, joint heirs with Christ. We can hope in His promises that are written in His Word, that His promise, and He will not fail to fulfill them. And we can also find our hope in His eventual return, along with the promise of receiving eternal life in a glorified body. And I'll end with this passage, Isaiah 40, 29-31. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Even the youths shall, be, shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. In times of trouble and despair, when it seems like no one cares, there is a hope that we can share, a hope that comes from God above. He sees the pain that we endure and every difficult detour. But with His love, we can be sure He'll lift us up on wings of love. In Christ, we find our strength and peace, and all our fears and worries cease. For in His love, our hope increase, and we find joy and endless love. So when the storms of life draw near, and all we feel is doubt and fear, we'll trust in God who's always near, and find our hope in Him alone. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.